right, good morning again. Hey, so for anyone who's a first-time guest, we've been preaching through the book of Galatians um, since, I don't know, September 12th. So this would be our 11th sermon, right? And, and I really want to make sure that you understand that the first five chapters, really, or let's say four chapters, hammer home the fact that, that we are justified or declared righteous, um, completely innocent, and given a perfect righteousness by, by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a, and it's a gift, right? It's not something you and I can earn. Paul's main thrust of his whole argument that during this whole preaching of his whole teaching of this book is that there's one gospel, there's no other gospel. And if you want to add to that gospel, you will lose the gospel. It will be no good news at all anymore, right? And so what is the, the main argument? It's that, that Christ died for sinners, period, period. And then we live out of that truth. So chapters 5 and chapter 6 have really been about how we live in light of that truth, right? So as we get into chapter 6 today, you cannot detach it from that first four chapters. Because you could read chapter 6 and say, well, there's a lot of to-dos here. And, and there are to-dos in the Christian life, but not in order to gain salvation, right? It's, it's flowing from the fact that you have salvation. So that's all introduction to the fact that before we jump in to chapter 6, and actually we're going we're gonna to back to chapter 5 a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, go ahead and look at chapter 5 of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We, I'd love to give you one. We have Bibles here so we can make sure that we get you one today and then bring it back next week so that you have it. Because I want you to have the Word of God in front of you as I'm preaching, as I'm teaching, so that you can see it for yourself. Because if there's ever a time where, where you look at this and you're just like, yeah, not seeing that, then, then you should be wanting to engage me and say, where do you see this in, in the Scripture? Because if you don't see it in the Scripture, that's a problem, right? Because I want you to see the truth as it comes from the Word. All right, so all that's introduction. Now we're going to jump in to chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, where we're going to begin, okay? So it's practically how do we live out of the truth of the gospel. Let's look at just verse 25 and 26 to begin. So he says, if, if we live by the Spirit, right? So last week was all about life in the Spirit or life in the flesh or works of the flesh. He says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That really does belong in this text because it's, it's one flow of thought. And if we detach it from that, we're going to miss it. Because here's the deal. The gospel not only affects our relationship with God, but it must and ought to for sure affect every relationship that we have in life at some level, right? Life in the Spirit displays itself for love for one another instead of provoking and envying one another, which is exactly what he's saying here. In other words, keeping in step with the Spirit is, is really just a downward walk in humility. Right? It, it's not one of rising to the top. That's how America thinks about advancing ourselves. And there's, there's good things about that, by the way. But the Christian walk is actually is complete opposite. Right? John the Baptist said that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. So the more we're walking with the Spirit, the more we're walking in humility. And, and that's what he's saying. Don't, don't be conceited. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. This is, by the way, humility this is not the path that you and I would choose for ourselves by nature. Right? You, you and I, if we can be honest, we're, we're just glory thieves. 
just want everybody to recognize us. We just want them to hit the like button or the love button or the high five button. And man, maybe you could share it and tell everyone how awesome I am. But, but Paul says it's not the way of Christ. He, he warns people. He says, stop being conceited or, or, you know, do not become conceited. For some, they have to stop right now. Some, they just need to not go there, right? But this, this word conceited really could be translated as vainglorious or, or even empty honor. And those are not words you and I use very often within our English language. But what it means is a, a deep insecurity, um, lacking glory, lacking honor, lacking recognition, right? Which, which leads us to then want to prove ourselves to people. We, we want people to recognize. We want glory. We want you to see. And if, and if we're conceited, then we will be pro- prone to provoke others because they'll look at us and say, man, I wish I was like so-and-so. Or we'll be prone to envy the other people that we don't think we've arrived to where they're at. Neither of those are gospel living. Both superiority and inferiority are are self-centered and self-absorbed. And that's us by nature. You're thinking, that's not me, that's you. This kind of conceit really is just pride, right? By the way, if you're thinking, what about you? It's me. Right? Like, don't, don't ever think, well, the guy who gets to preach the word, he mustn't struggle with that. Wrong. If you're a fallen human, and here's the newsflash, you all are, you struggle with pride or you just don't struggle with it. You're just swimming in it. Right? But here's the thing. Pride's hungry for attention and respect because it really, it causes you to think more highly of yourself than you should. This is, man, this is why when you look at God, it's really hard to be like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. If you, especially if you look at the cross, right, which is where he's going to go. Pride sinfully prefers other people than, than different people, right? I, I like this person because I really like what they got and I want recognized. But this person, I don't really care what you think. That's pride. It honors those who are trending on TikTok and Twitter. But those who the world really doesn't see, you don't see them either. And you don't really care if they see you because their opinion of you really just doesn't matter because, well, who cares, right? Um, there's a, there's a saying that says this, humility is one of those things that if you think you have it, you don't, right? Like you can't, you can't be the guy or the gal that's just like, I am the most humble person I've ever met. <laughs> eh, fail, right? Like I'm just killing it in humility, right? If, if, no one would say that. We're too slick. We know, but we think it, we feel it. We feel, especially in a competitive sense, you're going to see it today at the turkey bowl. It's going to be on full display. Somebody, and by the way, there's a, there's a fun sense of that, right? There's a fun sense of that. It's not, it's not fun when it's happening within the church. It's not, it's not fun at all. It's, exalt, it's exalting self above God. We seek to magnify Christ. To, to make Him look great. We live in light of the gospel and in such a way that when people come in contact with us, they might even recognize me. Like, there's something different about you. You're, you're, you're all right, man. I'm, I'm really amazed at the way that you're loving your family, you're loving your community. And in that moment, you have an opportunity to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm pretty good. Thank you. Um, or you can point to the one who's at work in your life. Because if any of that's real and if any of that's true, that's God at work in your life by His Spirit. And you have a chance to to give Him glory, right? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Man, if you get that, that, that changes the way 
you will wake up and, and behave throughout the day. Right? It's, it's not the person who's always just saying, no one sees me. You're still seeing yourself. And it's not the person who's walking around, look at me, because it's still about you. Humility is just, you're so, and it's a gift of grace. You and I can't muster this thing up. It, it's, it's being so captivated by the gospel, so captivated by Jesus, that you have an audience of one that all you're concerned about is his delight upon you. And you know that's secure because of who you are and whose you are in the gospel. That it doesn't matter if you think highly of me, and it doesn't matter if you think lowly of me, because I know what my God thinks of me, what he says about me, and what he says about me is true because I'm in Christ. And so that's how, that's how we see humility formed in a believer. You know, the greatest display of humility that the world's ever actually witnessed is the incarnation of Christ. It's Christmas, right? That is the greatest, that's the epitome of humility, because what it, what it led to was God, in, in all his splendor, having angels worship him day and night as if there were such a thing in heaven, singing holy, 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 and he steps down gladly, joyfully, and, and puts on flesh. He becomes a baby. There's nothing more humiliating or humbling for God to do than to have to dirty his diaper. I mean, think about this. We laugh at it, but we don't ever think about the fact that Jesus lost baby teeth. We don't think about, th this is God, right? And, and this, this is humility, but then it's not, he didn't just come so that you would just do everything for him. He didn't come trumpet like that kind of king. Mark 10 says, Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man came not to serve, to be served, I'm sorry, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is humility. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Jesus willingly died for sinners. That, that's humility. And as we look at that, there's no way that we, well, there is a way because our flesh. But, but as we look at that, there's no other response if you're understanding what's happening within that gospel than to shrink. To shrink, right? Because God, Jesus went from sovereign to servant. It's amazing if we think about it. Jesus gladly, joyfully took the downward path. He willingly chose it for the joy that was set before him. Humility is seen clearly in the incarnation of Christ, in the entrance of Jesus into the world. Jesus, who is the Son of God, he assumed all the limitations of humanity, right? Apart from sin. Apart from sin, but, but he really did get tired. He really did get hungry. He lived these 33 years as a spirit-filled man. And like any other person, that was his life. No one ever started so high as Jesus. And no one ever descended as low as Christ. He's our perfect picture. But he's so much more than just an example. Do you see why the gospel ought to annihilate pride at its core? I mean, I mean, think about it. It should be impossible to look at Jesus' beaten and bloodied body hanging from the cross and feel superior, knowing that your sin placed him there. Knowing that my sin placed him there. Get it. No one will be strutting around and strutting through the narrow gate with a puffed up chest going into the presence of God. Nobody. Nobody. Praying, here's the thing, pride, it only reigns 
like where the cross has been diminished or removed. That's why Paul is so adamant about making sure we understand the gospel. Because you're never going to be this loving community until you understand the gospel. You'll do it for a season, then it'll wear off, and you'll be on to something else. But if this is, man, if, if we live a gospel-centered life, if we wake up each day and remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel, you, it will shape you. It will shape everything about you. Not only that, but we, we have the Spirit, right? This whole last two chapters, five and six, is all about the fact that you and I cannot do it. But God has given us Himself, and He is committed to forming Christ in us. And Christ is humble, therefore His people ought to be marked with humility. And that's His point. Thankfully, the Spirit works in us to apply the gospel deep within our hearts so that we no longer have to worry about feeling superior or inferior. And it happens. It's going to creep in. But remember last week when we talked about that's where you make war. If you're starting to feel proud, make war on that. If you're starting to feel like, I don't think anybody sees me, make war on that. Because both are marked by pride. Instead, if we see the gospel correctly, then we will live lives of courage and compassion for the sake of others. Why? Because that's what Christ has done for us. The Spirit helps us to see others not as a, an opportunity to bring glory to ourselves, but people to serve, people to love. And we can see them. And we do that all within the context of a local community, yes, individually, but within the church. Individually, yes, but corporately. And, and we do this to magnify Christ. This is what brings the love of Christ into any given place, is His people. You will know my disciples by how they love one another. You and I will not love one another until we understand profoundly the love that God has for us. Even when it looks like you are, you're really just probably loving yourself. Right? And so God help us. So that, that sets up chapter 6. So he's going to get into very practical portions of the scripture now. So look, look here. Um, we're going to look at just 6.1. You're like, how far are we going today? Ten, but we'll get there, I promise. It starts to gather steam as we go, right? But, but look at this. You're going to notice that the Spirit leads us to restore wayward family members. So look here, brothers. Notice the, the familiar word here, right? It's family. It's family. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch for yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So, so get the, no, don't miss the word brothers. He's talking to the church family here. We come to faith in Christ, but then we also, we get a family. We get God as our Savior. Yes, you know, God becomes our Father. We become His children. Jesus is our big brother in a sense. But you also get many other brothers and sisters in this family. We get adopted into a family. Right? We see that here. So we not only get a relationship with God that's very new, but we get new family members. The church is, is a family of adopted brothers and sisters, right? The church is not a building you visit. It's not. I know you've heard this before, but sometimes it just creeps into our thinking. It's not an event that you attend, but it's a people you belong to. It's a, it's a, it's a belonging it's a family. We, hopefully you just enjoyed Thanksgiving with people who love you and that you love. That, that picture and its dysfunction is the church family. Do you think of your church family like that? 
Because if you do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way you live. It's going to change the way that you look at relationships, right? So one of, your, one of your family members gets, he says, caught. It doesn't mean like, ha ha, I saw you. You were drinking on Thursday night. That's not what he means by caught. Better word would be probably entangled, right? Someone's entangled or they're trapped in a pattern of sin. Those of you who are spiritual should seek to gently restore them for their good and for the good of the church. Because you might think of your sin as individual, but if you're connected to a family, it affects everybody. It affects everyone. You're like, well, not this sin because it's private. There's no such thing. Because it's robbing you and it's robbing the church family, right? So so notice, though, he says, those who are spiritual. By the way, um, this does not mean some super sin sniffer who's always just gone around and saying, I think I see a little bit of pride in your heart there, buddy. Right? Like, that is not what it means. Like, that makes me want to, like, avoid you, right? Or correct you, right? So if every time you go around someone, they're super critical, and they're always looking at you, like, with this little magnifying glass, and they're like, I think I I saw something on Facebook that kind of looked prideful, you know, right? No, that's not what that means. We're not pointing out every little thing within the church family. That's not what it means. But let me ask you this. When he says... You know, we ought to be like looking for those who are caught in a transgression or we see that they're caught and we should restore them. Is this how you approach or even think of church life? Is this how you approach it? Are you concerned about your family members potentially being entangled in sin? If so, you will go towards those who are entangled, right? By the way, man, if, if, if the church could just be as good as the next door app looking for lost cats. <laughs> I mean, straight up. You ever been on next door app? If you don't know what it is, look at, I'll, talk, I'll tell you later. I don't have time for that. But this Thanksgiving, man, cats must have went crazy, right? There must have been like turkey carcasses laying everywhere, and they just went like everywhere. My news feed was just blowing up. Hey, if anyone finds this cat, they got a picture of the cat. Please, I'm sure they're lost, and this is like, find them. Man, if, if we approach loving one another like that, it would be like out of this world. Here's the deal, though. We, we won't... Many, many times it's easy to say we love the church as if it's like a sentimental feeling. But we won't love the church the way that Jesus loves the church if we don't go after and care for those who are entangled in sin and call them to repentance. That's how Christ has loved the church, right? By the way, this is to be done in a spirit of brokenheartedness. Sermons like this are so dangerous to preach because everybody would be like, yeah, he's putting me on mission. I'm going to tell everyone where they suck. But that's, that's, not, that's not the heart of the person. This is someone who's, who's just brokenhearted for you. This is someone with deep humility and tears probably welling up in their eyes doing the most uncomfortable thing in the world, which is sitting down with someone that they deeply love and they're risking the friendship. Because they know you could do everything right and you could just be like, you're judging me because that's the favorite memory verse of someone who's entangled. And, and they know it's risky. But question, questions, it says spiritual. We got to define that, right? Because if, if you were to poll 10 Christians right now, that question, well, who are the spiritual within the church? 
It'd be, I think it'd be a lot of fun to find out some of the answers. Maybe we should do that. But my guess is I try to boil it down to probably the top three. And you might have other ones, and they might even be better. Maybe we should work on this sermon together. But this is the three that I got. So the first one's the professional pastor. They are obviously spiritual. And hopefully they are. I mean, it's a really bad thing if the pastor's not filled with the Spirit, right? But there are totally tons of lost pastors. You think that's not true? Come hang out at some pastor conventions with me. You know, but of course they're spiritual, right? Because they've got big books, they've got big brains, and of course they're, you know, they're just the person that's always going to be the one to help the sheep out in that moment. And we hope that that's true, but that's not always the case. They've got bunches of letters after their name. Okay, maybe. How about the intellectual giant? Who's that? Well, they're marked by their quiet times. They, you know, they might even do Bible studies with tons of markers or highlighters, right? And they've always got a coffee off in the distance. And I'm not, by the way, if you do that, I saw a coffee like, oh, you busted me. You might be doing that in a very spiritual way. I'm, don't take it too personally. I got to have fun here though, right? They listen to the best podcast. They, they, their favorite flowers, a tulip, right? And, um, you know, they love all the dead guys. And by the way, this probably describes me more than anything. I love all the dead guys. I love all of that. They got a very sharp mind, sometimes very callous heart towards people, though, because they just they know so much. On the other end of that spectrum, though, is the emotional mystic. We'll call him that, right? And, and this person's all about the feels, right? They love enthusiastic worship. I love enthusiastic worship. They love speaking in tongues. They love healing. They love signs and wonders. And everywhere they go, little flowers or, or maybe even, let's say, feathers fall off them and dust, gold dust. Yes, that's what happens as they walk about. But, but here's the deal. All or none of these may be actually truly spiritual. Right, because what's being mentioned here, what, what's being mentioned here is, is spiritual does not mean some elite, super spiritual seals, right? I don't mean like, or, or, I mean like, like, like they're like, they're the crazy force that's just gone in and taken over land. I don't mean, you know, that's not what it means. What does he mean here? Those who are filled with the Spirit of God. Who's that? That's everybody. You mean it's saying just the pastor's job? Nope. Those who are spiritual, those who are walking by the Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit, those who live by the Spirit, those who walk by the Spirit, this is the family's job. And, and it should be met with real relationship. So if you don't, you've got to think about this almost in the sense of like a, a relational investment. Think about a bank. Every time you put in a deposit and you go take a withdrawal, you're, you're going to get to a point, if you keep taking withdrawals and never put in an investment, it's going to be bankrupt. You can do that in relationships. So you put in the investment because there's going to become a day where you're going to need to sit down and look across the table with someone and take a withdrawal for the sake of their good, for the sake of their soul. But if you've never put a deposit in it, you probably ought to wait for someone else to do that because you're just going to over-withdraw. This is why belonging and being and, and knowing one another and loving one another and spending time apart from just a Sunday morning is so imperative for the church. And so God, help us to do that. Why do we do this? Because it, it resembles our Father. Right? Jesus, Jesus is in the business of helping lost and entangled sheep. Therefore, His followers, His children, right? God's children ought to be just like Dad. So we go. And by the way, after this, this time of, of, of COVID and everything, there's so many detached sheep out there. I just keep running into them. 
And my heart longs for them to just to be, belong to a people and to be pastored by people. And so take the time to get to know them. I met a, a woman named Jen. I won't tell you where she works. Um, and, and man, she's just longing for someone to pastor her. She just, just, she just melted yesterday as I was trying to pick up something for a friend. And she'd worked long hours in retail, and she just she needs a people. I invited her today, but she's working. Retail's like that. I did it for years. Listen to what James says in James 5, 19 through 20. He says, my brothers, if anyone's among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I want to focus in on this word, this, this restoring word, right? And to do that, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask one of my friends for help, Tim Keller. That's his name. So listen to what he says, because I'm not going to be able to say it as good as this. So why try? Listen to what he says about restoring a brother or a sister in a spirit of gentleness. He said, restore is a term used for setting a dislocated bone back in place. A dislocated bone is extremely painful because it is not in its designed natural relationship to other parts of the body to put a bone back in place will inevitably inflict pain but it is a healing pain it means that we are to come confront even when it will be painful but our confronting must be aiming to prompt a change of life and heart that's the heart of what 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 paul's saying in galatians this is what it means to gently restore Right? And so, okay, let's, let's keep going now. Let's look at, at Galatians 6, 2 through 5. But we're going to look at verse 2 to start off. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, so those who are entrapped or caught in sin need help. They need family. They need love. But so do those who are just burdened with the weight of the problems of life. Right? You might not be sinning at all. But you're just so downtrodden. You're so burdened. Why? Because this life is hard. This life is hard. This last year and a half has has probably shown that in many different ways in your life, right? This is why we come along those who are struggling in in all kinds of things. Maybe in their marriage, right? Maybe, Maybe it's just friends who long to be married. Maybe it's those folks. Maybe it's our single friends. But we come alongside those who maybe... Maybe their children are growing up and going in destructive ways. That's a heavy burden. You come alongside them. But maybe it's for for married couples who just long to have children and they're unable. It's another burden that they need friends to come alongside, to encourage, to pray with. You can't fix it. That's not what he's talking about. It's just coming alongside, praying, encouraging, maybe a kind card. Maybe it's for teens who feel hopeless and not seen in a world where all they want is to desperately be seen as they continue to look in ways through TikTok and all the different things like see me, see me, notice me. And then you go near them and you're like, I don't want you to see me. Get away from me. And you're like, oh, you're a strange creature. But you got to bear that burden. you got to bear that burden. you got to keep pressing in to love. Maybe it's people who face great medical challenges with very little resources. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe it's single moms like the woman I spoke with yesterday. Maybe it's a widow, right? Someone grieving the loss of, of someone that they deeply love and now they feel hopeless, maybe even angry and very spent. The list goes on and on, but by God's grace and by His power, we must seek 
to shoulder up under the burdens of those people if you and I are going to fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ, by the way, is just to love your neighbor. Love, love's, it's action. It's not just like a sentimental feeling. It can involve that, but it's so much more. It's rolling up your sleeves. It's getting dirty. It's getting into the mess. And it's going to get on you. It's going to screw up your schedule. But this is what it means to be the body of Christ. And so if you're like, well, I'm not looking for that. Well, I'm sure you could find other places, but that's what we're going to seek to be about here. Why? Because that's what the world desperately needs. That's what I desperately need. That's what you desperately need, whether you realize it or not. So then he continues. Look at three through five. For if anyone thinks he's something, by the way, he's like, he's back to pride. Oh, you don't think you need your burdens bared up? Hey, oh, if you think you're something, I just want you to know, you're nothing. You deceived yourself. You're confused, right? But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Man, that sounds so easy in theory. However, in real life moments with emotional messiness and the kind of burdens that you can really get yourself into of trying to help someone, it can make you want to tap out. It can make you exhausted. This is why we must seek to remain humble. Not comparing ourselves to others, right? Instead of comparing ourselves to others, we look to Jesus who bore all our burdens perfectly. He bore all the law's demands. He bore the judgment of God in our place, right? And so we see that in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxieties and burdens upon me. Why? For I care for you. So we take our burdens to Christ first and foremost. But, but that is part of the burden bearing. Someone might not be able to even conceive of that in the moments that they're burdened. That's why really burden lifting is, is taking them to the one who can handle it. That doesn't mean you're the Savior. That doesn't mean you're the Savior. You're not. You might be able to help tangibly, but that doesn't mean that you're required to be the Savior in that moment. You're taking them to the one, back to the gospel, the one that will lift all their burdens, even as their circumstances remain the same. So many times we confuse this. We think we want to fix the circumstance. Your job's not to fix the circumstance. Who do you think has them there? And what's his, what's his purpose in that? To make you more like Christ. Sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, doesn't happen without friction and without pain and without suffering. And so if we're always just running around trying to save the person, you're actually saving them from the instrument that God's using them to make them more like Christ. So you just go and you just remind them, we have hope. We have living hope. Why? Because we have a Savior. And that Savior says, come to me. All you who are weak and weary and burdened, I will give you rest. It's a promise. He will do that in the midst of your struggle. So we must continue to, by God's grace, shoulder each other's burden. Right? And so, notice this, though, that the, in verse 2 and 5, right? It can almost seem like a contradiction. Help one another burden their, their you know, bear their burdens, but uh, bear your own, right? But the words are actually a little different. The word load is not the same as burdens. Burden is, is really just a heavy weight. Um, think a lot of like, like five-piece luggage. Now, 
maybe a couple of you could carry that on your own. I know a couple of you are thinking, I got that, right? But not really. Not if it's really, really heavy. Uh, load is much more of a lighter weight. Think of a carry-on or a backpack. And, and why this matters is, is because I want you to think about it like this. There are things that you need to, to carry on your own, right? Hey, I just need to get out of bed. Will you be my accountability partner? No. Set your alarm and get your butt out of bed, right? Like, that's, that, that's not my burden to help you with. Figure it out, right? I can show you how to set an alarm, right? I can do certain things if you need it. But no, that's not what it means. So to help illustrate this, I, I want you to you know that my wife and I, we, we like to go hiking. I like it more than she likes it. But there was this time we went to Maine, and we were hiking, and it was stunning, we're right on the coast. We're overlooking. It's, a, it's literally the perfect day as far up to that moment. Because I actually remember saying to Jess, I said, you know, it's days like this. I start to wonder, is there really sin in the world? I remember saying that at lunch. It was tongue in cheek. God was quick to remind me, there is. <laughs> and so as we, uh, we, we just peaked this, this climb and we start descending down the, the, the downside of that mountain. And I hear this most blood curdling scream from my wife. I'll save you all the gory details, but she, she broke her leg and it was just nasty, right? And so she was carrying a backpack. I was carrying a backpack and, and that was fine. But now she needs me to help bear this burden. And not that you are a burden, but you get the point for the illustration. So I had to take her backpack. We had to rip a tree limb off to get her a crutch. And, and then I had to take the rest of her weight. And that's how we went down the mountain for like hours upon hours because she wouldn't let me go get a ranger to come get her. I don't know why. That's what I wanted to do, but she didn't want to do that. And so that is the picture of helping someone bear their burdens. But you carry your own load, right? By the way, not everybody can carry the same amount. Some of you, like we, there, there are different people who just have more general grace in their life. You might have had a family nucleus that taught you what it was like to be a family, that taught you what it was like to have responsibility and to love one another. And they might not have even been a Jesus-loving family. But you think that comes naturally for other people. But there are some people who come from just straight brokenness, and they don't even know what it means to actually do that. So do you see how the burdens are different for other people? And that's why we can't be prideful. We can't be like, well, I just don't understand why you don't understand what it means to love your wife. Duh. Right? Like, well, none of us really do. We need the Holy Spirit and Jesus to teach us. But, but not everyone can bear the same burden, so we seek to do that. But can you see how this kind of gospel living pushes back against cultural Christianity and individualistic ways of living? Can you see that? Right? I'm so thankful for the people for the city church. I really am. Y'all love one another well. I'm just, and I just pray that as we grow, that that continues, that type of discipleship, that type of modeling would grow with it, right? Because a lot of times what can happen is you lose the essence of that the more people come because they think, well, this is a great place to hear this or that or to do this or that. But, but this must be well, this must be protected. As I was coming up the stairs this morning, I heard loud laughing and loud singing and enjoyment. And I thought, what a gift. What a gift. Because that is the picture of the church. They're loving one another, right? But here's the thing. There's a razor-thin edge between gospel community and individual responsibility. 
And so it takes wisdom to understand that. So, so what does that look like? Well, practically, it means that my first responsibility is my wife. So I'll just put it on me, and then you can figure it out how that works for you. And my daughter. That's my first responsibility. And, and then outside of that, be my dad. My dad really doesn't have anybody, so he's going to get the next part of me. But beyond that, it's fellow believers, and, and particularly for the city church. For the city church, not all of the Christian world. They need to be a part of a local church that will love and care for them in the same way. And so you need to figure that out for yourself. And, and so you can't be all things to all people. But you can be some things to many. And so we need to seek to do that. There will be some who desperately want and even need help from others. But, but listen, they will identify themselves as victims. This needs to be said. And stubbornly refuse to actually receive help or accountability to actually grow and to change. And so you just keep on helping them, keep on helping. They love your help as long as you don't ask them to actually do anything that requires them to take a step towards healing, towards change, towards getting their lives in order so that they can quit being the person who always needs help and maybe be the person who can actually help. That requires humility to understand. It requires patience. It requires tons of time. It requires, really requires the Spirit's Leading, guiding, and leadership. So before the City Church, you have two pastors. You have Pastor Kevin, you have myself. I'm not saying we have all the answers, but we can help you navigate that. Because I know many of you desire to love and to help the people that are in your neighborhoods. But sometimes you can feel like, I got myself in a situation. I don't know how to get it out. And I'm trying to help them, but everything I do, they just want more and more and more. So we bring people from crisis into this community. Because it takes all of us to come around to bring healing right? And so that's our aim. That's our goal. Now let's look at the last four verses. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Um, it would seem very self-serving to talk about this for long. I just want you to know I love bacon. Christmas is coming up. I don't like bacon paraphernalia, but if bacon would land on my doorstep, that'd be awesome. Just kidding. Ha ha ha. No, but what you do notice in that text is that, that you love, that each person within the family needs that kind of love and care. Sometimes what can happen is the church can, can even forget. Now, it can go the other way. You can idolize pastors, and that's ridiculous, right? But the pastor's in the family, too. We have burdens, and we need your help. We can't be too distant from the sheep. Or, or what starts to happen is a two-tier Christianity. And so you share these things as they're sharing their life and their word with you. So that's what he's saying there. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap also. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of our good doing or doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Listen, verse 10 really gets at the heart of what's being communicated in this whole text. Look at it, right? Those who are in Christ are to do good to all people, especially other believers. That's the church. That's the church. 
The gospel motivates us to love and to good works, right? Don't get the cart before the horse, though, right? Martin Luther, I love how he says, he says, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. We're not saved by our good works, but if you are saved, you will be known by good works. And if you are not known by good works, then it ought to cause you to personally reflect to the Word of God because over and over and over we hear gospel declaration, gospel declaration, and this is the way people live out of that truth. And it looks like Christ. And that speed's different, but we've been talking about that. Listen, our broken city needs this kind of witness. It needs it. Desperately, just look around. It needs mercy-filled ministry to show up on its doorstep. The skeptical, onlooking world needs to see the transforming power of the gospel displayed in very tangible ways throughout their neighborhoods. They need to see this. This is a true and compelling picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. The emperor Julian, who's also known the apostate, listen to this. In, in the mid-300s, he, he tried to stamp out Christianity, okay? And he tried to stamp out the spread of Christianity. So much so, he was furious because it was spreading like wildfire, okay? And he couldn't understand it, so he had people try to figure it out for him. And this is what came back. Christians, here was the reason for the spread of Christianity, according to the report. Christian charity to the poor. He also said that the Galilean not only feeds their own people, but the poor. I mean, ours, they even feed ours as well. They're feeding Romans. They welcome people into their agape, into their love, into their family. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Do kids like cake? They do. They will come running for some cake, <laughs> right? I love the comparison. What he's saying here is that the church was so compelling because of their love that people came running to it. That, that they would just, they would flock to it because there was something so different about this, the way this people was living that it got the emperor's attention and said, why is this happening? We must stop this. This is a powerful thing. It's, it's not marketing Marketing can help, but it's not marketing. It's, it's not building a big building. Lights, camera, action. I know this, 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 by the way, is not sexy enough for most people. People are stuck in some strange Christian bubble culture. It's so weird, by the way. That kind of subculture is so strange. We've swam in it so long that it actually doesn't look strange, but it's strange. And if you get out from it, You'll notice, that's awkward, right? But people are going to start to ask. They're going to be like, well, what about the concerts and the light shows and the haze and all the brown, right? And I like brown. Man, like, I freaking love guitars. I love electric guitar. I, I, Pearl Jam is my favorite band, right? You might be like, oh, I don't think that's good, but it's good. Get over it, right? But, but people like that. They want that brought in, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if that's what you think church is primarily, you're so confused. They might say, well, what about the bus tours to the Holy Land? Or if I don't have enough cash, maybe we go to Sight and Sound and, and go see Esther for the 437th time, right? Like, what about the programs, pastor? What about the consumeristic approach to the church? Man, this thing's about me. I mean, I got kids. Send them out a slide. Put them in my little minivan. Give me good coffee. And I think our coffee's okay. I think it's okay. You can do all those things and be a healthy church. 
You can do none of those things and be a healthy church. But that is not the church. You, you need to detox from that. By the way, the world's not impressed. The world is so not impressed. They're just not. Like, wow, you got LCDs or LEDs. Or, they're not, they, they see it everywhere. It's everywhere. Who cares? What they don't see is people just engaging them in their mess right now with their sleeves rolled up saying, how can I help bear this burden for you? Even if you give me nothing in return, how can I love you? You guys are speaking in tongues. <laughs> By the way, I let all the jokes pass normally. Well, that was just too easy. That was fun. That was a baby, by the way, for anyone who's listening to recording. Man, we just need a genuine refresh of the spirit that's bore out of gospel centrality. God help us to do that. I so desperately want this people to love Jesus and to love their local church beyond Sunday morning. That's the aim. I just want you to know, like, if you're here, that's what I'm praying for. And you're like, well, I don't know if I want that. Then leave. Because that's what we're working towards. It's what we're working towards. It's what we're praying towards. That's, that's what we long for you to have because it's what's best for you. But it's going to hurt. <laughs> to love people like this hurts. I mean, here, here's the thing. Way too many people want shock and awe, not sacrifice and love. Because it's just easier. It's just so much easier just to show up and say, do something awesome. And now let's get brunch. I feel uplifted. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, that's easy. Gosh, that's, that's not the way of Christ. This life will cost you. It's going to cost you. It will cost you. It's cost some of you already. You're going to want to give up. But can I tell you something? An avatar online can't do what we're talking about. And if you don't know what that is, hang out with Jake. He'll teach you. Because <laughs> I just thought it was a movie, but I guess it's this little icon that raises his hand when he's excited about worship and all these weird things. Um, that's strange. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap also. He's, he is not mocked. And he is not impressed by much of what's probably seen. Love's risky. It's, it's risky because that doesn't mean they're going to love you back. But that's why we keep going to the cross where we're infinitely loved. You're in Christ, you're infinitely loved. You might want love from other people, but you do not need it if you're in Christ because you are loved. And so we keep seeking to love. It's not, this kind of life is not complex, by the way. Walk with Jesus, make friends. That's, that's what we've been saying since the beginning. And if you will do that long enough, you will get in their lives. And if you get in their lives, you will have the opportunity to bear their burdens. And if you will bear their burdens and love them, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is what it looks like. Right? This kind of life is the kind of life I'm praying that you embrace. But if you're going to embrace this, you must embrace the cross. Because it means you wake up every day and die. Who's excited? Let's go. It's not how you grow a mega church, which we're not even trying to do. Jesus is already doing that. He builds his church. 
He builds his church. We wake up every day and we remind ourselves that we ourselves are crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the deal. If you do this, you will get weary. The gospel, say the love of Christ, right, is the essence of a real transformation happening within a body of people. It's the gospel, right? And a person who's loved in weakness will eventually blossom. Might not be on this side of the life. You might not always see it, but man, you'll never waste your life if you just seek to love people. You, you just won't, right? And when we get weary, and we will, then we'll go to our Father. We'll cast our burdens upon Him. We'll ask Him for fresh grace. By the way, He, He's never fatigued. Any fatigued people in here this morning? One honest person and other people whose arms now are officially working. I know you are. We just had Thanksgiving, right? And some of you, man, this is, is, even if it's awesome, you're thankful it's over. Because it's just so tiring emotionally and all the other things. And then you got the whole tryptophan thing, right? But, but here's the deal. God never gets fatigued. Ever. He's never weary. He's never emotionally drained. He's never stressed out. He's never anxious. He's always fully, perfectly, wonderfully unlimited in being able to pour out more grace upon His people who come to Him needy and tired from doing what He's called them to do. And it's when you are weak that finally then Christ's glory and strength is shown in and through you. And if you're only loving people from your own strength, well, then I'm just going to pray that, that God would just bring you into deeper waters where you just need him more because he will show up in ways that you can't even imagine in that moment. But you won't know if you always stay in the shallow end with your floaties. You just won't know. Our God, listen, he never grows weary of doing good to his children. So if you're weak and if you're weary... He says, come to me, come to me, and I'll take upon all your burdens. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, thank you for loving us in the midst of a, a weak and weary world that's so burdened. You sent your son at, as a baby to put on flesh and to live the life that we could never live and, and, and truly to, to go and and go to the cross and die the death that we deserve to die in our place. He lived the perfect life, therefore he has real righteousness. He takes on our sin and, and he calls all to, to trust in him because it's in that moment that he's upon the cross and the wrath of God is poured out upon your innocent son, the Lamb of God who come to take away the sins of the world, that, that he can from the cross declare it's finished. He's done it all. He's received 
the wrath of God. He has fulfilled the law and he calls all to trust in him. And the cross did not have the last word because Jesus triumphantly resurrected from the grave on the third day, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And he calls everyone now to repent and to believe the good news and to have life with him now and forevermore. All our greatest burdens have been lifted because of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Lord, Holy Spirit, continue to work mightily through us to cause us to take this downward path in humility so that we might be able to serve those who are heavy laden and burdened in this world to magnify the name of Jesus, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.